Hello everyone and welcome to episode 322 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers Centre where we have an awesome writing community and writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series and also soon to be author of what? The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. And I'm very excited. You don't even have to ask me how I am. You don't have to ask me, Valerie. I'm so excited because um, I've revealed the cover of The Firestar and it is, you know, remember I told you I'd had a sneak peek of it, you know, some time ago, some weeks ago, and I I was just completely not, you know, blown away by it. And it's out there and everybody else agrees with me that it is amazing. So Yes, I love um, it. I did put it up in the Facebook group this week. So um, some Mm. of you will have already seen it. I hope you love it as much as I do. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can mm. have a little sneaky peek and you can of course also like let's just get it all out up front shall yes. we you can also pre-order the book at the moment Woo! um so at the moment the pre-orders are available through booktopia and angus and robertson but there will be other pre-order links to come and those links are in the um in the blog post which is in the show notes so i hope you guys might consider pre-ordering because it is actually an incredibly a helpful thing for an author to have a nice stash of pre-orders before the book comes out. So, you know, I know you love me and I love you too and it would be great if you would just go and do that for me. Thank you. Yes. And the reason (laughs) it's useful for an author (laughs) – The reason it's useful for an author to have a stack of pre-orders is because when it's officially released, then those pre-orders count to the first week of sales, so to speak, and so it pushes it up the charts. It does. And, you know, I would very much love to have a number one chart at some point in my life. So if, you know, let's, shall we make this happen, people? Shall we do that? Let's do it. Anyway, I know it's six months away, but you know. Yeah. (laughs) I promise not to talk about it every single week. I will just bring you the highlights as they unfold. Okay. So you don't have to (laughs) fast forward me for the next six months because I do still also have useful things to say, I promise. Yeah. Anyway, how about you, Valerie? How's your week been? Oh, uh, and also we did not talk last week about the So You Want to Be a Writer event that occurred at uh, for yeah. the Shoalhaven Read, I don't know why we did not do that because clearly yes. I was. How was it? It was really great. It was so good. I think everyone who was there would yeah. would agree that we had a lovely day. Um, okay. I would like to say a big shout out to Nicholas Party who came from Queenbeyan, and also yeah. to TJ Edwards who came, and all those other podcast listeners who were there. Thank you so much for coming along and supporting the. Um, the fundraiser, I really, really yeah. appreciate it. We had people, mm. hello, Karen, who came down from Shell Harbour. Mm. Um, you know, people did come, uh, did travel a bit for it and I, I, I really appreciate it, but it was such a great day. Um, we had a terrific conversations with uh, Mark Whitaker, who, you know, yeah. showed us a little bit of the inside of his mind after he's written true crime for many, many, many years. And mm. we can all agree that you know, maybe that's a little bit of a scary place to be sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Pamela Cook came along and shared her her um, insights into not just uh, traditional publishing and writing best-selling novels but also indie publishing. So, um, overall, I think it was um, really, uh, you know, I hope everybody else enjoyed themselves as much as I did because um, I was certainly needed to lie down after talking for two hours. Uh, mm. Yes, I did. And someone did say <laughs> to me that 
I'd packed an enormous amount of information <laughs> into that two-hour period. So yeah. as you can imagine, I was also talking fairly quickly. And there was a lot of <laughs> gesturing. There was a lot of waving of hands. You're All of the photos. I know. Mm. It's so bad because so many of the photos have got me like basically doing some form of interpretive dance as mm. I talk. Um, but, yeah, no, it was great. So, so you want to be a writer out there. Yeah. Speaking of gesturing, here's a bit of a tip. I oh. went to see um, Elizabeth Gilbert talk oh, yes. um, this week and uh, she did a very clever thing about the gesturing actually. So she got up, she started speaking and she said, okay, everyone, let's get this out of the, out of the way. Phones out, we're going to do all the photos now. And oh. he, this is me d- doing the blah, blah, and she did a, you know, an active gesture so that people could capture at that. And this is called the whatever, <laughs> and she did an active gesture so people could capture that. So she did a bunch of those, maybe three to five gestures at the start so that people could get this really good shots because she obviously knew her poses and um, an in-action shot. So it wasn't just her standing there with her arms down. You know, they were – she she looked active and it was a good shot. And she then she, – after she did her five gestures, she said, okay, everyone, now put your phones away. So and, and no more photos so you can be fully present and for the rest of the talk. Mm. That was really clever, I thought. I should give that a try. Okay, so this is where I do the waving above the head and this is where I do the, you know, yeah, I think that would work beautifully. I should give that a whirl. Yeah. Yeah. And she even, interestingly enough, halfway through the talk, she was on a roll going blah, 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 blah. Is that someone shining a phone with a really bright light in my face? Sorry, it's just really distracting. Oh, dear. So she yeah, doesn't want phones up. Told off by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm, by Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We want to give a big shout-out to Shannon Anima from um, who kindly left us a review on Apple Podcasts, a five-star review entitled Writerly Walks with Motivation Mutt. I love that. Oh, so she Motivation got, Mutt. I know. She hasn't got procrastipup like you. She's got Motivation Mutt. I love I that. I wonder if they gone. I bet they would. Well, yeah, maybe. So Shannon has said, Val and Al accompany my writerly walks, inspiring my growth as an author from newbie with a notebook to querying for an agent. I dream of being your novelist interview one day. I'm working on my top three writing tips. Many thanks from Shannon and Amar from the Blue Mountains and British Columbia. Oh, wow. They're really far apart. Mm. They are. Lots of mountains (laughs) involved, though. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for that. I love that you have your own personal writing companion who goes with you on your walks. That's excellent. Motivation. Oh, I need to give Groucho a name. Oh, you do. I, I haven't done that already. I can't believe okay. you haven't. Like really, <laughs> after all of these years, it's only just occurring to you. Yes. All right. So um, thank you, Shannon. And, of course, we really appreciate it. And if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast app is, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings. Now let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. So you've got a couple of links for us, Al. Which one do you want to start with first? <laughs> 
Well, I've already done one vowel because one oh, of them yes, was, was right. the link. Yeah, so we really uh, we're, we're actually down dun, to dun, a very yeah dun, dun, dun. So now we're down to um, <laughs> just the one for today. I felt um, I wanted to talk about social media meltdown, tackling burnout for writers, and this was a post that appeared on writerunboxed.com, um, and it is something that I think is really worth giving some consideration to, and it's something that I've been thinking a lot actively about recently um, because I am online a lot. I'm online all the time. I do social media for a couple of clients. I have my own work to do. I've got, you know, Book Boy to manage with his music career and various other Mm. things that he does. Um, So I um, think it's really worth having a look um, at your social media practice. And I do feel if you're going to be an author and this is a business and you are, an, you, you are you know, a professional, it is a practice and it's not necessarily just something that you do. Um, so I have started to do a couple of the things on this list and I had started doing them before. I read the post, so I was quite excited by myself. I'm obviously all over this. Um, but you need to, um, at, when you first, sort of first start building your platform and you're first on social media, there's a, you know, you need to be consistent, you need to sort of be active, you need to do all of those things. Um, But at some point, you have to start thinking about the fact that being online constantly is not actually that great for either your writing or your mental health sometimes, particularly, Mm. um, you know, you know, in unstable times. And the last couple of months in in Australia have been unstable, um, as far as, you know, various things going on. And so, I think it's really worth having a look at what you're doing because the other thing that you can do is get so fixated on, you know, being on social media and getting stuff out there and, and engaging and chatting and relaxing and doing all those things that you you um, start to burn out. And, and mm. so when you do actually need to be there and be present to do, um, you know, book promotion or to do various things that you need to do, you don't feel like it because you're totally and utterly yeah. over it. Yeah. So I think it's very much worth um, having a look at this little list. It's sort of like looking at things that you can do um, to kind of, you know, just manage your social media, to manage that stuff that you're doing to build your platform so that you're not feeling like you have to be there all the time. And one of the things that I'm actually doing at the moment is um, using – I'm creating lists on Twitter um, and and I'm creating lists so that I can keep track of the people that I really, really want to get, you know, to have updates from um, Mm. because there's a lot of noise there's right. a lot of noise yeah. on Twitter, particularly if you follow a lot of people. Um, so it's really worth creating a list of people that you actively, you know, want to seek out each day so that you can see there they are neatly packaged up in one little spot. Um, mm. I've created a great new list that I'm loving, which is it came out of a it actually came out of a Twitter thread where people were asked to um, to nominate ten uh, female writers of children's fiction in Australia and keep that list going. So mm. basically I I saw that as an opportunity because there were there were obviously many of my favorites and many people you know many of my friends on that but there were also a lot of people that I didn't know. Um, particularly illustrators and you know people perhaps that aren't you know right in my middle grade zone. So I have created a list based on that Twitter thread of 
uh, female writers of, you know, children's literature in Australia. So I can keep track of that because one of the things that I do like to do is obviously I like to help as part of my um, online engagement. I like to share what other people are doing as well because I think it's really important and it's very, very good for the industry as a whole. So making a list of that is making it much, much easier for me to find the people that I am actually actively interested in, you know, retweeting or whatever at the time. Um, So I think that that that's something really important. If you are struggling to actually manage your social media time, and I've got the, um, have you got this? on your phone the thing that tells you how much time you spent on your you know the average screen time that you spent yes, on a week to week basis dare look at it mm. Yeah, so I do look at it and it is something that I'm at because I have two teenage boys mm. and I am constantly saying to them you know you you've got to get off your phone more and they are very rightly saying to me okay but so do you, mum. You know? <laughs> it's very, very easy to say, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm working. And they're exactly. like, that's not the point. You're still sitting here in front of us. So I am actually looking at what I'm doing and where I'm doing it, trying to kind of keep my keep my screen time into, into pockets of my day as opposed to, mm. oh, I'm sitting here, I might as well have a look at what's happening on blah, blah. Um, yep. And one way that you can do that if you're really struggling with it is, and you don't have teenage boys telling you that you're, <laughs> you know, breaking the rules, um, mm. is to just take the social media apps off your phone. And so that way you're actively mm. only doing it when you're sitting at a computer. Like that way you can allocate time for it. And yes, only use that that time that you've had and if, obviously if you're going to do that you want to make that the time that is most useful for you which mm-hmm. means you need to have a look particularly on Facebook have a look at when you, you and you can see it in your analysis you know in your stats when your people are online when are you getting the most engagement um, and for me that's sort of between 4 30 and 6 in the afternoon generally speaking yeah, yeah. Um, so have a look at when that is and if, if if that's when when your people are most active then that's when you need to allocate your time to be online so mm. just you know you start to think about your activity um, and it will help you to manage that feeling of overwhelm that you sometimes can feel with um, with social media and the other thing of course is to schedule posts where you can Yes, uh, and you definitely. can do that on Twitter. You can do that on Facebook. Use um, we, you, use Buffer. Use Bitly. Use something that yep. will allow you to um, schedule your posts. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I also like post the kind of content you'd also like to read. Yeah. And it might seem really obvious for some people, but um, I think that that's definitely a good one because as this post says, and we'll put the link in the show notes, um, like attracts like which is so true, you know, you're going to attract the kind of people, your, your kind of community if yeah. you post the kind of content you'd also like to read. So, yeah, that's definitely a good post and we'll put that link in the show notes. And, um, yeah, we'll move on to right. our competition Excellent. this week. Hmm. Well, last week we heard from Julian Leatherdale. So this week we have three copies of his novel, Death in the Ladies' Goddess Club to give away murder and blackmail, family drama and love, all set within the shady underbelly of 1930s King's Cross and its glamorous fringe. Aspiring crime writer Joan Linderman lives in the murky world of King's Cross in 1932. She's thrown headfirst into a real crime when she finds her neighbour murdered and secretly investigates the case in the footsteps of Sergeant Lillian 
Narnfield. But as Joan digs deeper, her list of suspects grows from the luxury apartments of Sydney's rich to the brothels and nightclubs of the Crosses underclass, a riveting noir crime thriller with plenty of surprises. And we have three copies to give away. And if you want to win one, please go to writercentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win. And entries close on the 23rd of March. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. Now, are you ready for the word of the week, Al? I'm ready. <laughs> that's really good because I'm not. I know. That's why I'm very fascinated to see where you're going to go with this because I can see that you are not ready for the word of the week. <laughs> In lieu of the word of the week, because obviously I'm just disorganised this week. Someone hasn't done their preparation this week. I'm completely disorganised. In lieu of the word of the week, I thought I would share a story of something that has occurred this week. Okay. (laughs) And that is about Sarah, who works at uh, AWC. And Sarah often... uh, Lives in, she's she's got a great sense of humour and she often lives in her own head and tells jokes to herself because you see her laughing in the corner. It does not, <laughs> at, it does not surprise jokes. me in the slightest, right? And this week's jokes in her own head is she because of course there's <clears throat> the toilet paper apocalypse that's <laughs> happening in Australia at the moment. So she had her little. Um, a conversation with herself um, that we would be doing. So you want to be a wiper? <laughs> You're telling the- mum. You are telling mum jokes. You realise that, don't you? This is a mum joke. This is not me. This is Sarah. And she was saying that um, you know, how are you, Al? Oh, I'm fair to piddling. <laughs> oh, stop. Okay. Do you know what? Wait, wait, never- one more. One oh, more. No. One more. Okay. Okay. Al. Are you ready for the turd of the week? Oh, no. (laughs) Val, they're not even funny. I will never, ever disparage the word of the week again if this is what you're going to give me as filler material, so to speak. (laughs) Okay. And I will do better because, as everyone knows, I love the word of the week, but clearly my brain was in another place this week and and Can you see what happens when she's not kept on task, people? This is what happens. (laughs) She's not prepared. Oh, oh my move goodness. On. Let's to move, move on. on to our writer in residence this week. Uh, incredible book, The Love That Remains by Susan Francis. And Susan has done uh, courses at the Australian Writer Centre. And she, um, she was privately adopted from a doctor's practice in Newcastle when she was oh. a baby and then grew up travelling the world and, you know, living various places. Uh, but then the unexpected death of her husband in Portugal in 2015 inspired her to finish her memoir and um, many things unfolded that are very, very interesting and surprising. So that is what has become the memoir, The Love That Remains. So let's have a listen to Susan Francis. Thanks for joining us today, Susan. Thank you, Valerie. I'm so happy to be here. Congratulations on The Love That Remains. It is just making headlines. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for those people who uh, have not grabbed their copy yet, tell us what it's about. Uh, I suppose 
it's it's easy to explain it if I go structurally. Sure. So it's it's in three parts, and each section is a journey that I undertake to a different country. So the first section is Australia, the second section is Spain, and the third section is New Guinea. And each journey, I suppose, metaphorically represents me moving more towards my identity, Mm. but literally it's the discovering of who my birth parents were, the love I experienced with my husband in Spain, and then the secrets I discover afterwards, which mean that I need to go to New Guinea. And so it is a memoir. At what point did you decide to write your memoir? I suppose it was around about 2012 and it was on the heels of the adoption story. It was, well, my adoption story, I call it a story. It was a journey. It was a discovery. It was a detective story. Mm. Um, I I really wanted to grab hold of my identity and who I was and all the facts around me that had been withheld from me and I thought if I could write it down then that is it's putting myself out into the world that's me taking back what had been taken from me and Mm. and was not easily given to me so I started writing down that story to write myself into the world I suppose that's how it started. But when you say that you wanted to write it down at that point in 2012 or around that time, were you thinking that you were writing it down as a because you were compelled to write it for your own healing and and benefit or were you intending always to write it as a memoir for publication? Probably 90% I was thinking that I would like to get it published. I Mm. had... You know, read read from a very young age. Some of my earliest memories are books and writing on a chalkboard. You know, that moment when letters become words and words make sense. And I remember mm. that moment when I was about four years old. And I remember writing stories at school and reading the Brontes and Anne of Green mm. Gables and all of those. And my dream was always to be a writer. But... Mm. And I kind of worked with words. I worked in advertising. I worked as an English teacher. I worked as a proofreader. Um, But I never actually found the space within that busy work life to actually sit down. And also I never really found something that I really, really wanted to write about. Mm. So it was a combination of both. It was that finally discovering that thing that I felt really passionate about that I that I really wanted to write about, but also finally having the time and the space. Yes. And so it's now 2020 and uh, that's, um, you know, eight years from 2012 when you f- this seed was planted. And you obviously have, tra- have travelled to various places and there's different parts of your life that have occurred since then. So when did you put pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard to actually write it in the three-act structure, so to speak, that it is now? Uh, now, that was really recent. The mm. the book, I would say that was 2000, around halfway through 2018. Um, oh, right. Yeah, so the first two sections had been written and I was fairly happy with them. And 
I'd actually so got the first name. two sections were written in 2018? Um, up to 2000, no, up to 2018. So that first right. adoption story, yep. probably I fooled around with that for maybe two and a half years, three right. years. And then when Wayne and I went to Spain in 2015, I really had the opportunity to write more. Mm. And then I had to write about what happened in Spain. And that mm. took maybe another year and a half, two years, and then I got an agent on the back of those two sections. Right. So the book was not finished, but I thought it was finished. Um, right. So those first two sections, a lovely agent took the book and and started sending it out. And it got close, you know, it got into quite a few acquisition meetings and with some big publishers. Mm. And then... I don't know, we got up to about 10 publishers and and the way the agent worked was she would send it to one publisher and we would wait for three months. Mm, mm. And so it was a very long process. And in the middle of this process, I discovered the third section of my book. I discovered what it was that I didn't know about my husband. And Mm. I talked, like it took me a little while to really process that and understand it. And I talked with my agent and said, you know, should this be part of the book? Because at that stage we hadn't parted ways and mm. we went backwards and forwards about it. And then one one publisher right at the end of that process said, I think you should put the third section in. So yeah. 2019 was writing the third section. Nice. And then I got an agent almost straight away at the end of 2019, a different agent mm-hmm. whose process was very different. He would send it to six big publishers at yep. the one time. And back in six weeks, we had to know. And I got, yeah, I got a lot of interest and I eventually settled on Alan and Elman because I thought they were the most sensitive and understanding about the story and the nuance of the story, not just trying to sensationalise it. Mm. And so what was the most challenging thing? And there must have been so many. So feel free to mention, you know, whatever comes to mind about this process. Definitely the most challenging was, well, two things really, trying to decide whether or not I would write that third section because Mm. in some ways it's an appropriation of my husband's story and I was worried that it wasn't my story to tell. Um, And I suppose the other, the other part of that was it's, it's a, it's a difficult and challenging and confronting part of the story. And did I really want to put that out there? So that was, that was quite difficult. And the other thing was, (laughs) the, Mm. the other thing is that being out on, submission you know that 12 months with my first agent and you'd be walking up a hill thinking gosh such and such a publisher is having their acquisitions meeting today Mm. what is the news going to be Mm. I found that so difficult Mm. so apart from the third section where you you know were struggling with should I tell this story should I put it all out there obviously there's a lot of should I put it all out there in the whole book <laughs> of, your, of your whole story right there's a lot of you know for it to really be, resonate with readers and and for you to really tell your truth you have to in a sense bear all or almost all it's really your 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 thoughts and in and deep emotions um was that difficult 
<laughs> I mean, some people don't find that difficult, but I know I would. Uh, was that a difficult thing to do from the start? Some, some things were more difficult than others, some subjects. So the subject of my adopted the, the people who put me out for adoption, Ooh. that was not difficult for me at all because when I was writing that, oh. I was furious. Yeah. And it was all about, you know, I had this compulsion to get me back into the world and say, this is me, you know, you can't, you can't keep me from me. Um, mm. So that was not difficult. That, that, that first section is probably the most rewritten section because I mm. wrote it earliest and I've been over it so many times. And, in fact, I think it's probably the weakest section of the book, interestingly enough. I think I maybe I overworked it. Um, the second section with Wayne and what happened in Spain, mm. that wasn't difficult either. I've said to other people mm. what happened that morning in Lisbon with Wayne. Afterwards, it was like trying to capture the northern lights in my head. The whole scenario, that whole day would just kind of flit around and I just couldn't seem to control it or to grab it and put it into the one place where mm. I could look at it and reflect it, reflect upon it and examine it. And I really desperately wanted to do that because I felt so guilty about not being able to help him. So mm. I really wanted to be able to look at it in one, you know, like a paragraph or a, a page, just have it captured so I could go from here to here and look at it with a very objective eye and really decide for myself if I'd done the right thing or not. And I just mm. could never do that. I could never get it in my head. I could never hold it. So putting it down on the page for me was a relief and it gave me a sense of control. And, mm. um, yeah, that, that was amazing. The third section was very dif difficult. I really wrestled with that ethically with myself um but writing it was probably the easiest because that section is written in the present tense and I was writing it as it happened and I wanted it to be more immediate and more more free because I didn't know what I was going to find either and I wanted people to be with me as I was discovering you know and I literally did not know what I was going to find um so that last section was more difficult in terms of how I felt, but probably the easiest to write because I just wrote it on the run. Mm. And in terms of the ethical dilemma that you faced, how did you resolve that with yourself? What conclusions did you come to? Look, I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have resolved it. Um, mm. Part of me still thinks that it wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. Mm. Um, the other part of me thinks it brings the story full circle yeah. and brings closure to the story and it also that last part definitely was the part that made me me um mm. and that was an important part of the story so the story isn't whole I don't think without it mm. but so as a writer I think it's very necessary as a human being as a person as as a widow I still am conflicted about it Mm. Um, in terms of the when you write a memoir there is sometimes a tendency to write everything that ever happened kind of thing <laughs> what did you do to kind of identify the things that just didn't need to be there 
I had very good editors at Alan <laughs> I remember not just the things that didn't need to be there, but my adjectives. I, oh, I was, yes, right. Three adjectives in one sentence is way too many, Susan. Mm-hmm. Um, question if you even need any adjectives, and if you need any adjectives, only use one. And when I, you know, and she, she's absolutely right, she's a beautiful editor, and when I went through the whole thing and took all the extra adjectives out, I actually think I was, like, I can't be 100% certain, but I actually think the word count went down by several thousand words. Oh, my God. <laughs> so having a great editor is a wonderful thing. Um, yeah. That really helped me to not have the things. In fact, I remember the publisher, Annette, at Alan and Unwin said, you know, that first section we've really got to we've really got to push that together because otherwise there's not going to be enough room for the other two sections. And we mm. all understood that all three needed to be there, mm. but if I'd spent too long on one section or it had been too drawn out, then the story wouldn't have had the pace and it has a very fast pace. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it was discussion with publishers and um, I had a writing group and they were really great as well. Mm. Um, not so much my decisions, what other people were saying to me. Mm. And so you say you've always wanted to write um, and now you've written this incredible memoir, um, but I presume that you're already writing on your next project. What Can you tell us a bit about that? I can tell you that I've written 50,000 words, which really... <laughs> Well, a very good friend of mine, Wendy James, who is also a writer, she said to me when I started the process, you know, really in 2018, she said to me, you need to make sure that your next book, you've got a lot of words written because otherwise at the end of the promotion of your first book, so she had a lot of faith in me. I didn't have a lot of faith, but she did. At the end of that first the first round of promotion, you, you know, people will be starting to talk about your next book and if you haven't got anything written or no idea what you're going to write about, it's going to take you years to get something else written. And I took that really seriously because I don't want this to be my only book. And so, yeah, I'm really happy I've got that 50,000 words in the bank. And (laughs) it's a crime novel, right? It's a crime novel. It's... um, it's a faction. Some people call it faction. So it's, yes. it's yeah, the background is is true. It's the um, execution of the Balibo Five in Timor in 1975. Mm. And the story, the fiction story is weaved um, in front of that, really. That's the backdrop to the story. Um, How did this idea come about? I know. It's, well, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was I was actually living in Indonesia in uh, yeah. 1980 and I was 18 years old so it was five years after the Mm. Timor incident and I remember I'd walk into rooms and people would shush each other and Mm. you know hide newspapers and and parts of the newspaper were completely blacked out so the government censorship big black boxes across across the page and I figured out after a little while or somebody told me that it was um it was still the news about the Balibo Five and Indonesia's role in that and Australia's response to that. And 
nobody wanted me to know because I was Australian. And it just stuck with me, you know, it stuck stuck in my heart. And and then I read recently that Jill Jolliffe, who was a journalist who kept this story alive and dedicated her life to this story, mm. now has Alzheimer's. Mm. And, you know, it's about that idea that when somebody dies, the story dies with them or the truth dies with them. And I don't want this truth to disappear. So it's so it's quite an important story to me. Mm-mm. And you've done um, some courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, you know, crime and thriller writing, which hopefully feeds into this, what you're writing now and um, how to write about murder. How have they been helpful in what you've, what you're writing about? So I did, I also did the short story. Um, yes, short story essentials. Yeah. And that one, that one helped me, you know, 100%. Um, that idea that you can, and so I do write short stories, but Mm -hmm. I just haven't had a lot of time in the last six months, but that idea that you can start in the middle of the action was something very new to me. And Mm -hmm. I love that idea that you can just start in the middle of the action. It takes people right into the story straight away. And so I use that not just in short stories, but also in this novel. Um, and then I did the crime and thriller writing with L.A. Larkin and I've, I've got on my little whiteboard that I bought from um, Officeworks <laughs> all the notes that she gave me oh, and wow. I've plotted it out. Kind of, She kind of gave us a, um, oh, what do you call it, like a, like a blueprint, I suppose, yeah. to follow. Yeah. And I've never written a crime. I mean, I love crime fiction, but I've never written a crime fiction. So, yeah, that was a great weekend. I found it very stimulating. Fantastic. And so this um, you, this novel that you've got 50,000 words, so this is obviously being written in a shorter period of time than the very long memoir because the memoir kind of had to be lived as well at the same time. So for this novel that you're currently writing, do you have a writing routine or, or anything like that where you aim for a certain number of words per day or that you, um, you know, set aside a particular time of day or week or whatever in order to get the words out? Mm, I, there's two things that I really do that I find have helped, both with the memoir when I was finishing that off or editing it and with this book as well, is when I get up in the morning, I stay in my pyjamas or my dressing gown, I go and get myself a cup of coffee and then I sit at my desk and I write. I don't have a shower. I don't clean my teeth. Mm-hmm. I pray that nobody will come to the door <laughs> <laughs> because um, – because I'm yeah. still in that kind of, I don't know, it's it's like a half-waking state. And really? you're not real sharp. And and the, the other thing is if I'm doing editing, because I do a little, do, a little bit of professional editing on the side, yeah. I always have a shower because I have to be sharper yes. and I have to be more alert. Yes. Um, so I sit at my desk until about 12 o'clock and – a good day is a thousand words, and a not so good day is five hundred words for me. Um, okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. But and do you I, write every day? I do try and write every day. I haven't written for about three months because of the book and, sure. and everything that's going on. But when the promotion finishes, I'll get back to writing every day. I really, really, really believe that. Um, it's it's like a job for me, and it means getting up, sitting down, and writing. And within an hour, I'm off, and mm. I feel more comfortable, and the flow's going. And 
Um, but if I don't do that, then it doesn't get done. And, you know, how can you finish a book if you don't write? So I have to ask, you wake up and you start writing, not the editing, but you start writing. At what point do you get dressed? <laughs> not till I've finished. Really? I can, I can be sitting here at midday. That's wow. why I pray that nobody comes to the okay. door. I can be sitting here until midday and that whole morning is just given up to writing. And then then I have a shower, I have something to eat, I go out and do something to get me out of the house and I choose her of an evening or I do a little bit of editing. And so my day is kind of, I suppose, structured the opposite to what most people yeah, might. Yeah, right. So yeah. But what do you do if you haven't got your thousand words and it's four o'clock in the afternoon? Oh, no, I, I can't <laughs> actually go for longer than about, Okay. five hours or four hours even, I I think that then everything just disappears and nothing is really worthwhile. Right, right, yeah. right. And it's too, it's too much for me. I couldn't go for past 12 o'clock pretty much. Okay. So what is the Grandmaster plan? As in you've written, you know, the memoir, you're writing a crime novel. Is there a plan to continue to write crime novels? Um, that's a really interesting question. I was thinking already about maybe what will happen after the crime novel. Mm. I um, I could go back to a non-fiction book about what it's like to be my age now and, you know, what it's like to be nearly 60. Um, uh, there's some interest there, lies mm. for me there, mm-hmm. but also depending on how the next book goes, I wouldn't mind doing another one of those either. So... Um, the girl in the story, the character, she's really intriguing and very interesting to me. So just see how this, this next book goes. So with um, the next book, what kind of research and where have you researched for it? With it, it, yeah. with this, uh, the backdrop of the Balibo 5. Yeah, massive research. Mm. Um, you know, I've got about 20 books here. I've I've gone to speak to a lady who worked in Timor as a volunteer um, in the early 90s and she gave me a lot of insight, day-to-day insight. And I also, the government released some documents from 1973 to 1976, which mm-hmm. was all of the telegrams, um, the communication between Parliament House and the embassy in Jakarta over what was happening in Timor. So it was during the time when Gough Whitlam was um, being dismissed. And so those documents, they're fascinating. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like you really understand after reading those documents that everybody knew what was going on. And, you know, it was a really, it wasn't a good time. Uh, And still up until this very day, Timor's had a fairly, bad end of the stick from Australia. So I think it's quite pertinent to write about it. And, in fact, just in case there's some particularly young people um, listening yes, to this episode, yes. if you should give some context to the Bella by Five. So um, in Timor, Timor was actually uh, conquered um, by the Portuguese and in Timor, in, 19, in Portugal in 1974, I think it was, there was an overthrow of the government. So all of a sudden, uh, 
who was going to run Timor, who was going to be in charge of Timor. And there was a whole lot of um, debate about whether they could run themselves or whether Australia would step in. Um, and then Indonesia didn't actually have the, the right to, to conquer or to govern West Timor or Timor-Leste, as it is now called. Mm -hmm. And it was literally... I consider it an invasion. Most people consider it an invasion. And there were some Western journalists there covering that story in 1975 and they were executed by Indonesian troops and no one has really found out exactly why. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of theory going around as to why they were executed. Um, and then a fifth journalist was shot on the wharf and... Timor was shut off from the rest of the world for about 30 years and the atrocities were appalling uh, what happened to them. So that's what I want to write about. Mm. That's going to be quite emotionally draining, I imagine. Yeah, I think it's a story that just needs to be lived um, mm. in our in – our, it needs to live in our memory and it needs to be kept alive because it's – People don't understand what it was like for the Timorese yeah. people, how badly they were treated. And mm. um, so that deserves to be told, mm. I think. Mm. So um, when you got the news uh, from your agent, I, I presume, that um, this was going to uh, – and, and you got to – you know, you decided on Alan Unwin. How did you feel? Wow. Um I didn't really feel it until okay. I went down to Alan and Unwin and I met Annette, the publisher, and I met the salespeople and we had a big meeting around a big table. And and I came out from that meeting and I remember I was walking down the main street in Crow's Nest hmm. and it just hit me like a rush and it was like, my God, I'm going to be published. I just mm. could not believe it. It was amazing. Mm. You know, that all, for all those years I'd been writing, all those years I'd been dreaming um, wow. Yeah, it was amazing just standing on the street corner there, you know, in, under the traffic light and it just <laughs> kind of hit me all of a sudden. And the other amazing moment was when all the books turned up from the publisher, my, oh. my copies, and you open up you open up the box and there are yeah. all the books. And um, I was so lucky with the cover and the cover it's is just stunning. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And so perfect. That, I suppose that was another highlight too. I was sitting at the computer and Annette sent me through an email and the subject line said um, a mock-up of the book cover and so many people had warned me that. Yeah. Yeah, and I just sat there and I couldn't literally open it because I was so afraid. What if it was oh, terrible? Wow. And then I opened it and I literally I just burst into tears. I oh, really wow. did because it was so beautiful and it it's was perfect. so reflective of what – what I felt the book was about. So, um, yeah, that was that was amazing too. That's 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 fantastic. Um, all right, and so now you're so you you got this um, book deal that you had been chasing for so long. You're already underway with the second book. Um, what's your advice then for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position where you are one day where they can sit in their dressing gown till midday or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> um, never ever give up. I mm. I remember thinking people would people never took me seriously. 
you know, oh, Susan's sitting in a dressing gown writing a book. Um, nobody really, I think, ever believed it was going to happen other than my best friend and mm. and me. I, I just said to myself, I'm just going to keep working at this book and making it the best it can possibly be. And if I keep working at it and making it better and better and better and better, someday somebody is going to want it. And so I went, joined a writing group. Mm. I took courses. Um, I worked a lot with people at Varuna and, yeah, just kept working, working at it. Mm-hmm. And that is my advice. You've just mm. got to keep working at it and separate yes. the writing from yourself. Make sure you understand that it's something that is not an emotion. It's something that you have to – it's a it's a job and you have to work at it and, and make it the best it can be. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today, Susan. Thank you so much, Valerie. I really appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and balance, as well as tips on publishing. This online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll find extensive personal feedback from your tutor and classmates throughout the program. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash novelwriting. All right, there you go, Susan Francis. So, Al, what are you doing in the coming week? That's a fine question, Valerie. What am I doing in the coming week? I am, well, I'm redrafting a novel Oh, and I'm just waiting, uh, hopefully today, for the proofread of the Firestar, which will arrive. Oh. And uh, I got notification that they've sent the advanced reader copies off for um, printing, so they'll go out soon. And, mm. you know, so it's all happening. And it's sort of, I don't know, book publishing a book is a weird thing because it's like everything happens and nothing happens. And, um, and then you spend six months stressing about it. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I, so I'll be... Um, just over here doing bits and pieces and quietly stressing. And you? What will you be doing? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm You'll be researching some... 27 words of the week yeah, I will. so that you're that is ready. Yeah. definitely what I'll be doing for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going – that isn't oh, – I will not fail again. Mm. <laughs> to, oh, my goodness. I cannot mm. believe I've done that. My beautiful word of the week. Um, so that's what I will be doing, Yes. <laughs> you realise that the Facebook group is going to be scandalised by oh this. There'll my be God, discussion. I'm Look how much discussion mortified. there was about Eldritch, which apparently we're, clearly we don't play enough, you know, role playing games because we Dungeons have no and idea. Dragons or whatever. Yeah. Mm. No, mm. it wasn't Warhammer or something. Oh yeah, there anyway. were a few. There was a few. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, sorry about that, people. Yeah, that, sorry. Our shock was was so palpable. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Bad me. Um, Bad. Speaking <laughs> of the Facebook group, you can find us on Facebook at oh, the yes. search, search up the So You Want to Be a Writer Facebook podcast community. Podcast community. That's it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten the name of our own group. Yeah. Um, so yes, please search that up. And of course, I also have another Facebook community that you can come and join and talk yes. to me even more often if you want, mm. which is called Your Kids Next Read, which is for 
um, all parents, teachers, community lovers who are and authors and booksellers and all manner of people. We now have 10,000 plus members over there. So come join our community. It's all about Kids Lit. Uh, If you're looking for books for young readers or writing books for young readers, it's a great place to, uh, you know, get a sort of a sense of what's going on out there. Mm. Have I done enough? Have I filled enough time here? Or have you thought about what you wanted to say yet? <laughs> I'm heading to Melbourne for some meetings, but that's about it. Oh. Uh, and I will be doing a one million words of the week, so I have them in advance. <laughs> terrible, terrible. I don't know what's gone wrong with me this week. All right, where do we find you online now? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, you'll find all of the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. And, um... Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>